Hey guys, welcome back to Oak Hours. I hope you guys are doing good. Today I'm going to continue the series of Secrets of Divine Love book chapter reading. I lost the book for like a whole month or so. So that's why I wasn't able to upload any readings from it. But I'm going to do that today. Now before I start the chapter, I just want to let you know before you guys think that hey, she's going to read us a boring book. Just know that the book brings me a lot of peace, therefore I know it's going to bring you guys a lot of peace. Um, I feel like despite us being stuck at home and being in the middle of a pandemic, we're learning to adapt to it because as humans, we're good at adapting. We're getting good at adapting to be able to run away from ourselves right when we're sitting at home. Before, we would be outside, right, hanging out with friends, going out, school, college, programs, jobs, whatever things that we were working on before. That was our escape. Now, it's like when lockdown initially happened, we had no choice but to face whatever things that we were avoiding or running away from. But like I said, we're good at adapting, so we've learned to adapt to it even more. So now you can be like, Oh, I take these many online classes or I do nothing all day or you do everything but to truly ask yourself, am I doing okay? The time that I usually do that is when I'm praying namaz and I still pray my namaz five times a day, but it's not like it's sincere 100%, but it's empty because I run away from myself. I don't truly sit there and tell God that this is what I'm feeling because I'm like, if you get up right now and you do that meditation club leading that you have to do, if you do your homework, if you work out, or if you do this, if you do A and B, you'll feel better. So just keep it moving. Namaz has become something that I do off my to-do list as a form of self-care, which is good. But being on that time of the month and departuring from namaz, I sort of realized that, hey, you know, you've been running away from yourself. Because when you make appointments with God and you sit down and you pray namaz, you're forced to slow down and listen to everything you're saying. But silence and softness and quietness of just embracing that empty feeling inside of you is the hardest thing to do, especially when you have things to do, especially when the world is calling out your name, especially when you know you have no choice but to keep it moving. And because of that, I want to read this chapter out to you. And because of that, I created this episode for you guys because I don't want you guys to feel like you guys are alone. See, this is where priorities come in. I don't care if you believe in God or not, or if you believe in a higher force or not. But I've said this many times. The point of life is to just live. There isn't a goal that you need to achieve. There's nothing that you need to prove to anybody. Even though we do have materialistic goals, I definitely have goals that I would die for. Like I, my biggest goal is to be financially stable on my own and I would die to achieve that dream. But recently what I learned is that the things that you love become the things that you worship. So I made a list of all the things that occupy my mind before I go to bed, right? And it took me a while to do that because I'm very, I'm not, like I said, I'm not the type to sit still. I always have to keep it moving and doing something. So I wrote down the things and I realized that these are the things that I worship. 
I worship these things because they hold power over me. Am I going to get that job? Am I going to pass my grades? And because of that fear, I feed onto that fear so that I can become fearless and I worship it. I put the things that worry me on a pedestal. And if you're religious or if you believe in a higher power, there is no God but Allah. La ilaha illallah. There is no God but Allah. Those materialistic things of this world have no right to have the privilege to be worshipped. So what I did with those things was I ripped them. I wrote them down. I ripped them into small pieces. And I moved past it. So that's something, that's the theme that I want you guys to think of while we go through this episode. The theme of worship. What are some things that you put on a pedestal? What are some things that you are worshiping? Is it that job that you are struggling to get? Is it passing your classes? Whatever it is. Think about the things that you've been starting to worship. And truly set yourself free from it. Because like I said, it's putting it in a pedestal. And only the higher power is supposed to be in that form. So release yourself from it. It gives you a lot of peace. So from the book, I'm going to start at chapter 10, which is page um, 241, if you guys want to follow along. If not, I'll read a couple of pages, and when it feels right, I'll stop. But let's continue. Hajj. A pilgrimage to God. God calls every Muslim that is physically fit and financially capable to journey with love to the sacred city of Mecca and participate in the holy pilgrimage known as Hajj. Although you can perform an optional pilgrimage to Mecca known as Umrah at any time of the year, the mandatory Hajj must be done at a specific six-day period in the 12th month of the Islamic calendar. Hajj represents the spirit's long life journey to return to God. The Quran talks of our eventual return into the arms of divine mercy, but often in the context of being through the door of death. We prepare for Hajj as if we are preparing for our death. We must pay all our debts, write a will, leave money for our family, and seek forgiveness from all those hearts we may have hurt. A physical exertion of the practices of Hajj are a process of purifying the soul because as the body weakens, so does the grip of the ego and materialism, creating the ideal conditions for the spirit to awaken. Hajj is a physical, psychological, spiritual journey that asks us to contemplate how attached we are to this life and how ready we are for death. The rituals of Hajj helps facilitate a path of return to Allah by helping us gradually detach from our ego and awaken our heart. In reference to the Hajj, the 20th century scholar Jia Enan said, The physical journey is neither more nor less than an outward entanglement of an inferior, internal journey. The journey from the periphery of our being to the center, the heart, for which Islam is the point at which the vertical and the horizon meet, the point at which the divine intersects with the human. The holy pilgrimage is not a journey to passively worship Allah, but rather the process of dissolving into the love of Allah, that only the clouds dissolve into the light of the sun. Hajj is not an outward journey, 
but a journey within the heart in which we actualize all that we already are. The Hajj rituals are specifically geared towards dissolving not only the chains of our limiting ego, but the superficial borders of race, class, and gender created through culture. Before commercial flights, it took weeks, months, and even years for Muslims all over the world to travel by boat, horse, or foot to reach the holy city of Mecca. As a result, pilgrims would often take time after Hajj to recuperate before heading back to their lives and families, often halfway across the world. During this layover, they were given a rare opportunity to learn from and interact with Muslims of different races and cultures that they otherwise would have never met. This was a time when scholars would share their ideas, hate between their cultures would be extinguished, and cultural stereotypes were broken. Since fear and bias tend to be changed not through facts or data, but rather through relationship, has united men and women from all social classes and cultures through worship as brothers and sisters in faith. This unifying presence has a profound effect on the human rights activist Malcolm X, who described the Hajj program by saying, there were tens of thousands of pilgrims from all over the world. They were all colors from blue-eyed blondes to black skinny Africans. But they were all participating in the same ritual, displaying a spirit of unity and brotherhood that my experiences in America had led me to believe could never exist between the white and non-white. We may look different, but the love we have is the same. There is no level to the rituals of Hajj, for all human beings are equal in the eyes of God. In the Quran, Allah speaks about how all of humankind comes from a single soul, and so the diversity in our colors and languages is not the meaning of creating separation between people, but rather an opportunity to experience God's boundless creativity. All humankind, indeed. We have created you from male and female and made you nations and tribes so that you may know one another. Indeed, the most noble of you in the sight of Allah is the most righteous of you. Surely, Allah is all-knowing and all-aware. Religion was sent not to divide us, but to unveil us the truth that although we may be separate fruits, we all are hanging from the same tree of our life. Our skins may have been painted by gods in many shades and tones, but the color of our soul is one. During Hajj, we walk together as one soul, back to the same divine home we left so long ago. Our shared goal of seeking intimacy with God transcends all differences in color, culture, and socioeconomic standing. Prophet Abraham, the father of monotheism. The pilgrimage of Hajj dates back thousands of years to the time of the Prophet Abraham. Abraham is the core bridge between the main Montanix faiths. As Rumi says, Jews, Christians, Muslims were all bowed down to Abraham's God. In fact, that there were rituals of the Hajj that supported the greatest divine test Prophet Abraham had to endure when God asked him to sacrifice his firstborn son, Ismail. When it comes down to the story, many people wonder how could God ask a father to kill his innocent child? The key to understanding the deeper dimensions of the stories in the Quran is to not get lost in the outward forms, but to listen to what the stories symbolically represent. The symbol of death in Revelation represents not an end, but a door to different stations of reality. Scholars suggest that God did not seek for Abraham to cause any physical harm to his son, but he was asking him to relinquish his attachment to anything other than Allah. God gave Abraham his infinity difficult test as means of breaking Abraham's heart 
so that everything other than God would fall out of it. Essentially, Allah was teaching Abraham how to actualize la ilaha illallah in his heart and soul. As a child, Abraham was so opposed to worshipping physical forms that he broke the idols carved by her forefathers in the temple. Now in his old age, Allah was asking him to break his attachment to his son in the sanitary of his heart. God was not punishing Abraham, but reminding him not to love the gift of his son to the extent that he may lose sight of the gift giver. However, the story is not just about the prophet Abraham, but also about his son. When the prophet Abraham received the divine orders to sacrifice him, he went on to his son and said, My son, I have a dream. I must sacrifice you. What do you think of this? He replied, Father, fulfill whatever you are commanded to do, and you shall find me patient by the will of God. Ismail beautifully modeled how to surrender and lean into divine revelation. This represents one of the greatest examples in the Holy Quran of the waku, a complete trust in Allah. When he heard the command of Allah, he obeyed without questioning because he trusted God and knew that his Lord loved him more than any human could, including his father. We are encouraged to love the passing fruits and flowers of this beautiful earth, but Allah reminds us to hold these gifts in our hands instead of our hearts, as the heart of the faithful servant belongs only to God. To experience a singular God, we must strive to be empty of both the self and the worldly attachments to define us. The oneness of God is beautifully illustrated in the mythical story of an old seeker that went looking for God. A lover of God searched two years before he finally found where his beloved lived. He knocked on the door and the other side answered, Who is there? The lover replied aesthetically, It is me, the one who loves you more than anybody else. The other side answered from behind the door, You have made a mistake. This is not the house you are seeking. The lover was distraught and confused, so he departed into the desert praying and worshipping for years before returning again. He again knocks on the door and the voice answered, Who is there? This seeker this time answered, It is you. At which point the door was opened. When the sage first came to God's door, his ego was still in the forefront of his existence, which was veiling him from divine oneness. When he went into the desert with Allah's help, he dissolved his attachment to himself, he sacrificed his inner Ismail, returning as nothing but a mirror for his Lord. This is what it means to be true and loving caretaker of this earth and a clear reflection of the divine qualities. This is the station of Abraham, the station of detaching from all that is not Allah. The moment Abraham surrendered to Allah was asking of him, his heart essentially saying, yes, yes, I testify to the pre-adamment Allah made with all souls. Every time our hearts are in conflicts with Quran, we are being asked the same question by Allah. Am I not your Lord? When Abraham answered and surrendered and submitted his will to be enfolded in the will of God, the order came to kill a sheep instead of his mouth as a symbol of Abraham's having sacrificed his ego before God. Once Abraham and his son passed the test given to them by God, they were divinely inspired to rebuild the ancient Kaaba in the valley of Makkah. The Mysterious of Kaaba Although there is no universally agreed upon prophetic, prophetic narrations, some scholars and mystics have suggested that after Adam and 
If united on earth, they were drawn to the valley of Makkah by the incredible scene of angels they saw circling the ring-winted house. The house is located outside of human meal in the seventh heaven above the Kaaba. Some have suggested that here beneath the center of celestial worship, the Adam and Eve were guided to build the Kaaba, which was the first human-made altar of worship in the name of a singular God on earth. Time swallowed by remnants of this sacred shrine, only to be recorded thousands of years by Prophet Abraham and his son Ismail. Over time, the Kaaba, which once stood as a symbol of monotheism, became filled with tribal idols and became a popular destination for worships for um, pagan pilgrims. It was not until the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was sent to the Kaaba to purify all of the idols and reinstated as a center of monotheism for all Muslims. The Kaaba is metaphorically known by Muslims as the house of God. It is very simple, but contains a lot of such rich symbolism. The structure of the Kaaba is cube-shaped, so it points north, south, east, west, below, above, while not facing to any one particular direction, reminding us that God faces all directions. Today, the Kaaba is covered in a black cloth, which wonderfully represents the endless, transcendent nature of God. Black is not the absence of color but rather the outcome when all color is absorbed with our reflection. Similarly, God unites all diversity with his one singularity. The Kaaba is empty inside, signifying that God cannot be captured or contained in any finite form. The importance of it not being too literal is that it's illustrated in the story of Mullah Nusruddin, who traveled to the holy city of Mecca for Hajj pilgrimage. After finishing his hajj, the mullah Nuzrin decided to take a short nap on the Grand Mosque. While sleeping, he tossed and turned and cautiously his feet faced toward the sacred Kaaba. The mullah was rudely awakened by a group of angry Meccan screaming at him for having his feet pointed to the holy house of Allah. The mullah replied, Oh, forgive me, I am terribly sorry for my forgetfulness. Could you please direct my feet in the direction where God is not present? The Mexican allies were left speechless because they never, because they knew that God was present in every direction. So they left the mullah alone. The Kaaba deserves the utmost respect and we must under no circumstances fall into the trap of worshipping forms, especially not to the extent that we forget the intentions and symbolism of Kaaba. The Quran beautifully teaches us that righteousness does not come from facing a geographical direction but is based on the sincerity behind our beliefs and actions. Righteousness is not that you turn your faces towards east or west, but righteousness consists in the belief of God, the day of judgment, the, angel, the angels, the book of God, his prophets, to give money for the love of God to relatives, orphans, the needy, the wafer, to set free slaves, to the setting in prayer, to adjust the elms, to fulfill one's promises, and to exercise patience in poverty, in distress, and in times of war. Those are the ones who have been true and are the ones who are righteous. Muslims do not see Kaaba as a house where God lives, but rather as a reflection of Bayt al-Mumar, which countless Christian sphinx are saying that is the perfectual state of prayer. When we circle the Kaaba and worship Allah, we are joining the entire universe in a dance of praising the divine. Allah is seen as a central point of the center of existence. He is the access point in which everything rotates. He does not move, change, or shift. He is the outside time.
time and space. Everything in existence is in the constant state of circumvolution. Electric orbits, the nucleus of an atom, the moon orbits the sun, the earth orbits the sun, the sun orbits the black hole in the center of a galaxy. Just as the black hole pulls all surrounding matters into the orbit with its gravity, the cobbler tracks the soul through the infinite gravity of divine love. Without the divine pull of love, there would be no life because matter cannot be formed without any attraction. If the love and attraction from the electron to the nucleus or earth to the sun were removed, life would cease to exist. From microscopic to macroscopic level, we are in constant state of orbiting. Like 300 million sperm reaching towards a single leg, millions of pollutants are all reaching to dissolve into the one divine, what is our union with God that inspires life within us. Just as the nucleus is the center of Adam and the black hole is the center of our galaxy, the Kaaba serves as a geographical center point of Muslim spiritual life. Every believer's life orbits around the unified field of God's consciousness. We circle the Kaaba in the counterclockwise direction known as the circle of Simulation symbolizing that our relationship with God is outside of time and space and a metaphor that a journey to God is endless. This is why each of us, seven circumstances exactly is where we begin, at the Al-Hajru Al-Aswad, the mysterious black stone said to have fallen from the heavens during the time of Adam and Eve. Our journey on earth is from God, who is our origin, to God, who is our end. The purpose of the Hajj was to unveil our attachments to the world so we can become aware of God's proximity. As Rumi says, be crumbled so wildflowers will come up to where you are. You have been stoning for too many years. Try something different. Surrender. So this is where I'm going to stop now because I know you guys are going to lose focus. But what are some key points? Number one, remove attachment to the world anything from the world so important you can love without attachment i think it's such a good reminder because in this time and age where you're learning and you're going by a productive you have to be hustling 24 7 it's so freaking hard to slow down and be like hey where are my priorities but Hey, if you need proof, I'm right here. Having 10 things to do on my to-do list and being able to check all of them off and feeling good about the fact that I'm productive, but still going to bed feeling upset and empty, longing for something for a void that I don't know what it is, just shows you that if you don't have the right thing within you, you can't get through a moment. When I was going through a very hard time in my life, I was going through it pretty well. I was still crying. I was still upset. I was still confused. I was lost. But there wasn't a void inside of me. There was no emptiness. I was full of life. That's because I was worshiping God. He was my center point of everything at that moment. Because he He was all I had to depend on. At the middle of night, I would get up and I would pray um, the Hajjud. And I would like cry to God. I would talk to him. I had no attachment but my attachment to God and that helped me get through the hardest points of my life. Points that if I was going through them at this point in age, knowing the distance that I sort of unfortunately have with God at the moment, I would be like, everything is going wrong in my life. 
why like, it makes sense that I'm empty. Like all of the A, B, C, D, all of these things are happening to me. Why is it that I have everything right now? Like, Alhamdulillah, like I'm doing the things I have to do. I'm succeeding in them. But I still have this empty void inside of me. But I did it when I was going through the hardest things in my life. It's because I'm attached to these things. I worship these things because I put them on a pedestal and I think that they're going to lead me to the ultimate success and happiness, which isn't true. You just gotta live. You just gotta be alive. That's more than enough. I hope you stick to until this episode and I hope this did something for you if you were having a bad day or anything, but I just want to remind you guys that I'm always here if you guys need me. Um, even if I take time to reply back, I'm always here. Until next time, please take care. I love you guys.